and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode five sixteen. <laughs> I don't. It, it's a borderline woo. <laughs> it's half a woo. It's, it, it, this is not a Ric Flair level woo. That's for damn sure. <laughs> which is not um, indica- which not a, isn't a reflection on the story, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. For those of you just joining us, because there's a lot of you, uh, we're the Lanterncast. I'm Chad, and that's Mark. We are uh, doing this intro because we're participating again this year in JL May. And for those of you playing along at home, JL May is a podcasting event throughout a bunch of different podcasters, comic book podcasters, where we cover something. In the past, it has been things like, uh, well, I, when, when we headed it up, it was Blackest Night. It was uh, Justice at one point with uh, Alex Ross's art. Um, and we've done JLA year one, we did the silver age. And I think one of the years we weren't a part of it, it was countdown to infinite crisis, um, and stuff like that. But this year, the event is being focused on the 2007 ish, uh, series, the brave and the bold. And Mark and I are covering issues 19 and 20 of that series tonight. I don't think it's ever been covered on that show before. On the show. I don't think so. I don't seem to remember it being on the show. I, I would have definitely remembered <laughs> uh, coverage of Phantom Stranger goings on on this podcast. Um, so uh, but um, this is this is a really good series. Um, it's uh, personally, I think it gets and this is again, this is just personally. Personally, I think it gets better towards its conclusion uh, when Straczynski takes over and starts writing it. But uh, there's, you know, especially in an era where we don't have a whole lot of a whole lot of good representations of the DC comic book uh, heroes and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we get our big Batman books and our Superman books and some of the other lesser known characters get left behind. This was a really cool opportunity back in the mid 2000s to see the um, to see the various characters across the DC universe. Uh, teamed up together i mean because of course the series may have started off with like batman and green lantern or green lantern and supergirl and so on and so forth but eventually you would start getting you know power girl and the, the you know the doom patrol the blackhawks would make an appearance uh they, they even had an ultraman crossover um dead man showed up and then later on you had you know dial h for a hero and shit like that so um this is this was a really good opportunity for us to see some of these dc characters that we hadn't seen in quite a long time. Yeah, I I, I have fond memories of this on this incarnation of the series, and this arc in particular. It 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 is an interesting arc. It's kind of funny, like to me reading it now, that it kind of reminds me of different things that we've seen in related to Green Lantern before and after. So I think it kind of fits perfectly. It's not inherently a Green Lantern story per se, because it doesn't necessarily have to be told with green lantern there's a certain aspect which obviously ties into power batteries and things but i think it's a it's a good story that fits naturally with the green lantern lore and certainly having hal be a be front and center it it was was always a positive yeah 100 percent. and this you know oddly enough this series was very green lantern heavy uh relatively speaking because the first two issues, you know, Batman and Green Lantern and then Green Lantern and Supergirl. And then we got to issue six, which had Green Lantern and Batman again. Then we have our two issues tonight and then the next two issues following that. 
And then we later on in issue 30, they had Green Lantern and Dr. Fate. So there was a lot of, you know, relatively speaking, there was quite a lot of Green Lantern in this um, in this series. And that may have been by design in terms of Green Lantern being one of the more popular series of, of the time, because we're, I mean, we're right in the Jeff Johns run at this point, right? This is true. And I do, when, now that you mention that, I do kind of, I do remember the beginning of the series now in particular with, like you mentioned, the, the Supergirl thing was something that just kind of like jogged my memory when you said that, because yes, I do remember this. This is how this, how the, how the book started. And yes, it made sense since this was during the ever so brief part when Hal was kind of like the de facto third member of the Trinity. Seems like eons ago now. Yeah, <laughs> once upon a time. Um, spe- speaking of, uh, once upon a time, we have Green Lantern and the Phantom Stranger number 19 from The Brave and the Bold. Uh, this uh, is in- entitled In One Voice to Save a Planet. That's the One Voice to Save a Planet is the name of the story here. Uh, and it looks like we have David Hine, Doug Braithwaite, and Bill Reinhold to thank for this first issue. We see uh, Green Lantern and Phantom Stranger showing up outside the gates of the Arcadia Hospital and uh, are trying to take on some guards who are shooting at them as they arrive on the scene. So the 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 man behind the uh, the, the hospital is Dr. Bernard Traves or Treves. He comes out to greet them and they, he welcomes them inside. And essentially <laughs> Phantom Stranger asks uh, the doc, the good doctor to monologue for a little bit and uh, info dump on the situation at hand at Arcadium. Now, one point there was a, um, a drug that was developed to, help when women who are uh, undergoing fertility treatments so it would help uh, inhibit miscarriages but it had really bad side effects uh, and it affected the offspring uh, in ways that they had uh, in I'm reading here from the book enlarged cranium atrophied limbs uh, and no eyes he takes them to one specific girl um, who has been impacted by this. Her name is Cora. Uh, she has been, you know, mute, silent, uh, no auditory information. She wasn't responsive whatsoever. But four months ago, she started writing. And we enter her room where she has been set aside from the others, and it is covered in scattered papers and notebooks in different languages. And Hal uses his ring to translate this because the doctor says there don't seem to be any recognizable languages. But since his ring is capable of translating any language, it starts to translate the contents of the books from an alien language it recognizes. And it says, this place is purged of sin. All life is cleansed, the death of the mind, darkness from light. Uh, And then he says, the Phantom Stranger asks him to go even further and say, okay, now show Green Lantern why I brought him here. Show Show him what Cora wrote on the wall. And we see... Behind her on the wall is written the oath of the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, and to which Hal reacts, how could she basically know this? They start, uh, he and the Phantom Strangers start musing over the possibilities here and he, and that it's potentially prophecy and that the Phantom Stranger recognizes some ilk of magic hereabouts uh, with all of this. And before Green Lantern and Phantom Stranger can take off to take these notebooks that they have acquired from Korra to the Guardians of Oa. Uh, the doctor stops the Phantom Stranger and asks him if the dreams will stop. And he says, I think not, as the two leave to Oa. They speak to the Guardians who take uh, take a look at some of these notebooks and say that they are troubled by them, as well as the presence of the Stranger, though they don't uh, elaborate on that part. But they recognize that one of the one of the uh, languages that the ring recognized from the planet of Kalo, they have recently had reports of uh, destruction and no survivors from that area. And uh, Hal will go over and help that sector's Green Lantern for that planet. And Hal asks that the Phantom Stranger come along, to which the Guardians, I guess, reluctantly acquiesce. Uh, and then over in Sector 3897, uh, above the planet Kalo, uh, Green Lantern Orlin greets Phantom Stranger and Hal Jordan as they descend on the planet and learn a bit more about the planet and the fact that 
there's sort of a symbiotic relationship between these people and their uh, the plant-like structures that they have. His wife is quote unquote in the dreaming because there is a plant here that uh, is referred to as the Bellamort, which I think in essence, Mark, would it be fair to say this plant is essentially like the Black Mercy? It's similar. I mean, it's it's it strikes me. It's it's also odd just in the context that they how they kind of go out of their way to make it sound like they don't really consider it to be a parasite because they because of the fact that maybe even if it's just from a delusional perspective that they see it as more symbiotic because they get the benefits of having the having these kind of dreams and everything and getting that kind of pleasure while. But I do think I do think it 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 turns the worst aspect of it or how it can be put to an extreme. Yes. I think it's similar to, to, to mercy in that sense that it can kind of become controlling and all consuming in a way or more than in a way. Yeah. So the best synopsis of it that uh, Orlin gives is the Bellamort takes nutrients from its host. And in return, it feeds a chemical to the pleasure centers of the brain and it gives the host dreams. Now, because of this sort of addictive dream state, there um, are lots of laws and stuff governing the Bellamort, and it's basically not supposed to be used off-world. But, of course, there's smugglers and all kinds of stuff that happens. Uh, but the city that they're referring to on uh, on the planet, Chimera, K-Y-M-E-R-A, um, is a licensed pleasure city when people from off-world come to visit it and, you know, they can use the Bellamort and dream about their fights, but they can also, there's combat sports and entertainment, sexual liaisons between species, all fueled by the narcotic effects of the Bellamort. So they start checking into various things. The two Green Lanterns head off on their own while Phantom Stranger does his own checking into things. He, uh, Hal and Orlin fly over the forest of the Bellamort, which covers almost a tenth of the planet's surface. So this is the origin for all these plants on the planet. The Orleans ring detects illicit activity and smugglers. So the two go down to face them, but Hal's ring temporarily malfunctions and his power level starts wildly fluctuating. Orlin, uh, as Hal crashes, uh, Orlin defends him. Uh, and it seems all is right with Hal's ring. Hal's a bit concerned about, uh, the level of force that Orlin used to defend him, uh, when his ring was dark with those smugglers and he kind of shakes it off. Meanwhile, they go to the city uh, where all the devastation has been recently caused and uh, a lot of people are dead. Organic structures uh, have been, in, uh, the organic structures of the, the city itself have been uh, attacked by a fast acting virus. Howell opens up one of the pods uh, to see the desiccated husk of a creature. Orlin, uh, the scientists say they've never seen anything like this. And the phantom stranger, of course, mysteriously appears to say, that it's magic, it's at work, and it's connected to Cora. Meanwhile, Cora is back on Earth in the Arcadia Hospital having a seizure of some kind or an episode, and they take her to the emergency room. Uh, she's quickly stabilized, but somehow the monitor starts going from uh, her heart rhythms to actually words saying, don't let me die, keep me alive. If I die, everyone dies. And the story is to be continued in the next issue. Do we want to stop here and talk about, about what we've seen so far? Yeah, why don't we push through and do the second issue and then reflect on both? All right. Sounds good. Again, David Hine is our writer. Doug Braithwaite is our penciler. Bill Reinhold is our anchor. Rob Lay is our letter art uh, lion colorist. Uh, and Braithwaite and Reinhold did our cover. We have the we open on uh, Without Sin Part Two, which is the name of this entire arc, Without Sin, uh, with the Guardians actually pouring over the notes from Korra. Uh, and she is describing essentially apocalyptic events on other worlds across the universe. Uh, and the Guardians acknowledge that all these books tell the same story, a world annihilated by a creature who takes on the form of the dominant species and turns the most powerful forces of each world against itself. And they're musing as to why Korra is the center of all this. Um, we have no way to ascertain uh, any of this as truth that, you know, none of these worlds are within our reach. But Callow is, so they're just sitting and awaiting the response of Hal Jordan. Back on Callow in the city of Chimera, Hal finds another pod um, amongst the rubble. 
which his ring detects has life reading. So he opens it up and a Prutian uh, is actually survived and he has lived to tell the tale of a sort of being of light that has shown up that came out of the sky. Uh, He said it's an eater of light. Uh, came out out of the sky. It says, I bring you peace. I bring you harmony. I bring you love. And it's sort of a black stuff spreading across the city, this virus that we heard about last issue. But the, his particular species has a defense mechanism, which allows it to sort of excrete uh, some sort of shell around himself, which this ooze, I guess, didn't penetrate. He's taken away by the scientists to be evaluated. Phantom Stranger again sends out his warning that it can't be explained by science, it's beyond nature, that it's magic. And back at Orland's uh, home, um, both Phantom Stranger and Hal are encouraged to rest for the evening while they uh, take stock of everything and, and, and go back to the job uh, at sunrise. Uh, Hal goes to sleep, but is, of course, the Phantom Stranger does not need to sleep. Um, and his Orland's wife has awakened from her dreaming state and... Um, she tells him about the dreams that she has and how that she uh, guides her sculptures and makes them herself. She forms them and and uh, they change and grow each day and they're inspired by her dreams. They see Hal take off because I guess he too isn't is having a hard time with sleeping. There's an oddly seductive nature about her here, which I guess we'll talk about later. I don't know why. Um, so it's partially it's the way she's dressed. Yes, too. That too. Um, they, they do a lot with her eyes and her body language here as well. Um, but he, uh, she, she says, if sleep is eluding you, maybe you should try the Bellamort. And he basically says, I'm not a physical being. Essentially, I don't, I'm not affected in the same way, but he's attacked by a Bellamort or one reaches out to him and he does fall asleep, uh, and dream. Meanwhile, Hal is exploring the Bellamort forest and, there's a larva that jumps out of him, which he grabs, and it's, his ring scans, it says that it is uh, high density of viral transmitter cells, virus unknown, lethal toxicity. So the whole forest is being poisoned, and it's attacking the, the life forms out there. Meanwhile, this light eater uh, reappears uh, to this protean that we spoke to earlier, and uh, despite his protective shell, uh, this time makes quick work of him. He says, um, "Your all flesh is corruption. All that is corrupt shall be cleansed. And then meanwhile, back in Arcadia, we just see the words, it hurts across the screen uh, of the monitor that Cora is connected to. And the doctor calls Mr. Harmon, who I guess is the benefactor behind all of this, and says that she may not have very long and she needs to be treated by an actual hospital. And this man orders the... I need them gone. He basically, I need this taken care of. Um, so his lackey is going to quote, make a call. So Hal arrives back at Orland's home and has his ring scanned for occupants. Cause no one is responding to him. He reads two uh, sentience in the structure and it's unable to confirm their location or status. He sees Marika in her chair. So he turns the chair around. She has but too been attacked uh, by the Bellamont, uh, the Bellamort and uh, is dead. And then his ring is starting to die. It's draining power. Uh, he goes into a room where he sees light and it's Orland's lantern. Um, and there is something wrong with it, but it's not anything in particular that he can figure out because Orlin is being possessed by this light eater. And it, claims to have adapted the battery to suit his own needs as well as Orland and Orland's will. And he tells Hal to prepare to be purged. And we see Hal covered in this black slime that we saw before uh, as he is screaming. Not quite the end, but the end for us. (laughs) The end for us. That's okay, because guys, this is part of a giant podcasting crossover event, and the people who will be covering the next two issues in the line are our good friends, Myron and Phil, over at the podcast of Ola. So you, we, we can trust the rest of the story to good hands. But Mark and I have indeed read it. We'll try not to spoil it, but you know, obviously we're going to talk about it a little bit. So what do we think of what do we think of the first two issues that we have here? The setup was really good in the first two issues. It's, I've, I actually have forgotten this was a four issue arc to start with. I was just reading this and, and then it ends at a really nice cliffhanger. So it definitely makes you want to go back, go and read the next issue no matter what. Cause you can, 
which is what a good cliffhanger is supposed to do, because it makes you wonder how the hell is Hal going to get out of this, especially because his power is essentially being nullified and or being being because Orland's power has really been corrupted or the ba- the battery has been corrupted by the purge that basically Hal's power on the surface is useless. And I also just like the ties to everything that's going on. And of course, as the story plays out, you understand why Cora is responding the way she is and having such a visceral reaction to everything that basically is going on with the Phantom Stranger and how and what they're dealing with. I, yeah, I, I thought as a basic premise, I thought this was a, this was an inter, this was an interesting story. I kind of did get some far sector vibes off this planet, mm-hmm. which of course, obviously at the time we wouldn't have, but now looking back, it's, it's like, it, it, it's similar it, with with that kind of with that kind of society and the dream kind of being not to quite the same as having your emotions suppressed, but it's but it, it it strikes it strikes a similar beat. Yeah, I I did I I definitely enjoyed this. It and the story was a little the beginning was disturbing with the kids and everything else, and the art was for the most part I enjoyed the art on this. The guardians looked especially good. Hundred mm-hmm, percent. Yeah. So I I I think this was. Even just as the first two parts of a four story arc, I think this works really, really well. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it uses the the premise of, you know, Green Lantern very well because obviously something off world is happening. Um, Something strange is connecting this little girl to to some goings ons out in the cosmos uh, and magic be damned. It's still connected to space in some way so there's an alien language here one of which the green lantern ring recognizes so it only makes sense for how to you know report to the guardians and be like hey here's what's going on uh and and see what the next steps should be so i i do like that it's got a very straightforward aspect to itself the magic side is not so obvious honestly obviously like how Korra is connected and stuff like that, which we learn later in the subsequent two issues, issues 21 and 22, they give us some supernatural, some, you know, connected to uh, enlightenment type of stuff uh, goings on out there. So like there's there, it, it becomes, I guess, more prevalent later on, but, but still it, the attachment, at least in these first two issues, isn't so obvious that it, makes sense that the phantom strangers are involved yet like obviously you know what he knows how much he knows and when he reveals that he knows it um comes into play later on uh not in our two issues but comes into place but it's it would be interesting being someone who is reading this month to month as the issues come out one by one at the time and going oh green lantern phantom stranger and reading issue 19 and then reading issue 20 and coming to the end of issue 20 and go okay uh, I'm curious about what's next, but I'm I'm still not understanding why the Phantom Stranger is here. No, I think that's I think that's valid critiquing of this. It's not true criticism from the perspective that it's not a negative in the story, but it they it is a question or they are questions that do not get answered until you get further into the story. So you you read it and it's like plus it's you know like like you kind of mentioned like he just of course pops up at the right conveniently at the right moment to say something cryptic. And it is in the big, and then even, even as you get further into the story, when how kind of Cal almost kind of calls him on, on this and going like, well, you kind of knew this and you knew that all along, didn't you? And it's like, well, but you know, it's kind of like, well, kind of like, well, you know how it is. These things have to play out. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, up yours, buddy. <laughs> uh, which is the Phantom Stranger's lot in life. He does tend to just pop up and be like, cryptic things are afoot. I have need of you. Come with me. <laughs> this this is this is very true so that so that was that's part of the reason why it doesn't it doesn't really bother you so much in this but it is true that for the first two parts it does seem more science-based a lot of what's going on here even though you do but the whole i guess they kind of loop you in loop it in and and drag you in to believing that it has to do with magic because you're dealing because you're kind of dealing with prophecy potential and see and that mystic kind of thing that is obviously not science so i think that that's probably how they get how they get you to realize that oh there there's more to this puzzle that we don't quite realize yet and uh especially since uh the phantom stranger is not not exactly functioning 
<laughs> when this issue two ends that it doesn't really help further the narrative all that much. Agreed. All right. Let's see what else about this. I think I think the art we talked a bit about the art. The art is interesting. It plays it plays around a bit with. Um, I mean, obviously, the further away the, the, the perspective of an individual character is, the less detail there is. But there's quite a lot of detail on faces here. And interestingly enough, we this is one of probably the few times we see Hal's eyes behind his mask. We don't often see that. That is uh, true. That's more of an Alex Ross thing. True, I- including the, the fact that we're pairing him up with a Phantom Stranger who we historically don't see with pupils ever. Uh, and that is continued here. So I'm I'm curious as to why they chose for how to have pupils in the Phantom Stranger to continue to not, which is interesting to me. Just as somebody who enjoys the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, that is true. That would be curious what the what the stylistic choice, what that decision was based on. I really like this alien world. It looks really cool um and, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but alien. <laughs> um, I think it's always cool when we see Green Lanterns of, of another sector and have them sort of info dump um, their world and how their world and their world's economy and so on and so forth works to kind of catch us up. It can be a bit word heavy and so on and so forth, but it is kind of fun to see these other cultures, which I think is something we miss out on when we have lanterns go from sector to sector and do what they do, uh, whether they're stopping violence or dealing with some other threat. We never really get to know the world that they're on very well, um, at least in most cases. So it's nice to see, you know, not only are the Guardians sending Hal uh, and allowing the Phantom Stranger to come, but, you know, clearly they've kind of radioed ahead and let uh, let the Orlin know that they are coming. So he meets them above planet and and all of that. I, I do even like the whole like, hey, I'm not sh- quite sure why uh, the Guardians sent you down here because, you know, hey, I'm I'm a Green Lantern, too. I, I got this. Which is really the first as the story plays out, which is kind of like the first sign of maybe something is afoot since since the ec- book, because you can understand a little bit of that general attitude. It's like like kind of like almost taking offense to the fact that, hey, it's like I've never given them any reason to think I don't I can't handle my own business. But. It also kind of like gives you a little bit of that Sinestro vibe. It's like, eh, you don't need to come here because I, I, I got everything running smooth. Just trust me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting too because when you, when you understand what's going on with him later on in the story, and you go back and page through, you start to see the artistic cues of, you know, like the, the stoicness of Orland's face, him giving them the side eye behind them. Stuff like that. Uh, his and, and this is if this is alluded to in our own issues, so it's not like we're spoiling it for for the guys over at Podcast of Oa's coverage. But this person is very clearly obsessed with sin. The 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 the, the being referred to as Purge is very obsessed with the idea of sin and cleanliness and stuff like that. So when you go back and and start this story again, knowing where this is taking us. You can very clearly see, you know, you would on first reading, you're, you would probably think of Orland's attitude of all of this um, being connected to his status of Green Lantern and everything he has seen it, being a Green Lantern, not only for his sector and his planet, but everything he's probably seen throughout the universe. Maybe he just by nature has a different disposition and thought process than the rest of his people based on his own experiences. So maybe his it doesn't quite come across as harsh as maybe the word judgment, but there let's just for lack of a better word, his, his judgment of the use of, of this, of this plant and uh, the, you know, the pleasure city or whatever, as he keeps referring to it makes more sense when you, when you know where things are going. Um, But it's interesting that it also makes sense before you know where it's going. That's true too. So I think that's very clever writing. I think, I think too that the I don't know where they were going with his wife, other than perhaps the I don't know her her body language and her looks and everything. Maybe that's just feeding into the idea 
of the sin and her disagreements between her and her husband about that dreaming state, because he freely admits at the beginning that he, that he doesn't partake in it and doesn't want anything to do with it. So she probably feels pretty judged by him uh, and, and things like that. So I don't, I it's, it's, it's an aspect of the story. I'm not, not uncomfortable with is I'm not sure why it was there because she dies so quickly. I don't know why it's there. Well, again, I'm, I suppose, well, again, we don't want to get into, we don't want to get into, it's a slippery slope because if we talk too much about this, it kind of rolls into the other, that's other, true. The other two issues, but we, we get an, we get an idea as the story plays out. You understand that, that whether it's the combination of, of the, pseudo parasites or whether it's the influence alone of purge that it's able to influence things and make you see let's just say it makes you see things the way they really aren't not so it's kind of continuing the dreamlike state in a way so it's it's debatable how much of it's just because you're under the influence and how much is being actually 100 always manipulated by purge but it's also possible let's just say with what how we're we're seeing what the phantom stranger saying but maybe that's not entirely the way things really were going down at the time as far as what the reality of the situation was but i do think i do think she's supposed to be if not out now seductive she's supposed to be appealing calming trying to have him lower his defenses so obviously what happens to the phantom stranger is able to happen even if he doesn't think it's physically capable of happening to him that obviously he's being set up because something knows that it, that he he is susceptible <laughs> so. for sure and it's 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 interesting to see him be affected by this thing which makes sense later on when you understand the origins of of purge and his abilities and stuff like that uh so i guess what is being passed of what is what of him is being passed through through this plant is or plant slash parasite slash whatever uh is is also attached to the magical so but still um as someone who's a fan of the phantom stranger being as mysterious as he is powerful it still irked me a little bit to see him get taken out by it but i mean just to know that this is like a very i don't know ancient evil i guess would be the best way to describe purge um is is i guess uh enough of a a cat's paw or whatever for maybe that's the wrong term, but like just, a, just, just enough of a, of a, oh, okay. I, I guess we can, I guess we can allow that to, uh, to not be too upset by it. <laughs> I think it's enough suspension and disbelief that it works without, without completely taking you out of the story or, or you closing the door going, Nope, Nope. That's, that would never happen. I'm out. <laughs> For sure. I think I think it's I think it's a really good start to a story. Um, it's if you if you hear me struggling with how to cover this, it's it's purely because we typically don't cover things without finishing them. <laughs> so it's it's hard to walk that tightrope between um, what we know of the story and then what we're covering on this actual episode. Uh, so so forgive me for any awkwardness in in my attempts to dig into this and try and understand it with just the two uh, issues that we're covering here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Even when there's stories that sometimes we wish we could just not go back and finish <laughs> usually one way or the other, even if it's a summary DC versus vampires that <laughs> uh, usually we will go back and at least just, just because once you start down that road, you feel like you at least owe it to people who do listen to uh, kind of do it. But yeah, it, it is true. We, it it is something which is kind of funny because if we do what we are talking about for June, then it's going to be that would be another one, and then which kind of we won't be, but what we could <laughs> potentially finish, we just won't be starting and finishing in all likelihood. But the reality is that we don't often do just a little piece of a story, but no matter, but when you think about it, at least for the JL May thing, it's not really uncommon because sometimes it's just one event and you just happen to be doing a couple issues of it, so. For sure. I really like this. I particularly liked the the Guardian beginning of issue two uh, with them. Like, it's, it's nice that we didn't just see them when Hal brought the books to them, but that we're still seeing them pour over the notebooks and, and discuss amongst themselves the, the thought process there. They don't reveal much to us there, but it's still cool to see them nonetheless. And as you mentioned, artistically, they're done very well. One negative aspect I will point out 
is I would have liked to see more back and forth between the Guardians and Phantom Stranger directly before they headed off to Orland's planet. Just with their hatred of all things magic um, or their their rather dismissal of all things magic uh, in the best cases, I guess. Uh, as well as, I guess, Phantom Stranger's involvement in things. And I don't remember if he was a part. He may have been a part of it at this point. I can't remember his involvement in like the quintessence and stuff like that. Um, the Phantom Stranger is not, as far as we know, I don't believe he's supposed to be unknown to the Guardians. They know who he is. And to to see them just be like, we're troubled by the stranger, the stranger being here. And that's it is kind of a letdown. I just would have liked to see more back and forth. I mean, I get it. We got to get into this story, but also we have four issues to tell this story. So I would have liked a page or two with them. Those two, you know, the Phantom Stranger and the Guardians of the Universe going back and forth for a couple of panels. I agree with you. I can see why they didn't do it. Just like I can also see why clearly the Phantom Stranger needed to be with Hal and he needed he needed Hal there. He needed to be there. And as the story plays out, you understand the role they both play. So the Phantom Stranger also was probably was pretty consciously aware that he was just going to he 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 did not want to. He wasn't going to do anything to rock the boat that would that would kind of complicate things <laughs> either. So I think that's why he kind of was just along literally at the at, it seemingly along for the ride as an assist. When obviously we, we find out later on that more or less he's kind of he's really steering the ship and Hal's more along for the ride. True. I do. I do like the Phantom Stranger's involvement. Like I said, I I'm a little understanding of the the of putting myself in the in the shoes of the a reader picking this up issue by issue uh, and not really understanding the Phantom Stranger's evolve, involvement at full until we get to the third and fourth issues. But that said, again, not to uh, cover or just to tread lightly over anything that happens in the next two issues. What I do really like about this is the Phantom Stranger's involvement, especially later on, because, you know, the Guardians, of course, you know, one of the stories that we have of the Guardians of their dislike of all things magic, collecting all this random chaos magic in the universe and forming it into this star heart and so on and so forth. Um, you know, they have a distaste for that, but magic still exists in the universe. It's just something the guardians and by extension, the green lantern Corps typically don't usually deal with, but it's still out there. And when you are policing an entire universe, uh, it's something you are going to come across. So it makes sense that maybe they themselves don't have much understanding of it or um, lack in, lack any sort of background information that may be helpful in a given situation. But that's why I like stories like, like we get with um, Drick, the dead, the lantern that's half dead, half alive. Yes. What's, what was the, I, cause there's, there's another lantern um, who was magical and spoke to the dead and stuff like that. I can't remember his name. Is that Ash? It might have been Ash, but there was also another one like during Blackest Night that died. Sarek, wasn't it? Wasn't one Sarek and one was Ash. Yeah, Sarek. I get Sarek and Ash mixed up all the time. So like there's even specifically Green Lanterns who have magic based uh, or or magic connected abilities uh, of their own. So I do like when we have cause to use them. Obviously, those specific lanterns aren't here but we're using the idea of team-ups and stuff like that to throw the phantom stranger here and it doesn't take away from this being a green lantern story because it still makes sense it's just an aspect that they don't have personal mastery over and you know they gotta essentially call in for a consult (laughs) so i i do i do like that because it goes to our thought process when we're talking like in our state of the green lantern union how like green lantern is a property with which you can tell any story from any genre you can tell a romance story you can tell a mystery uh you can tell a detective story which we did see in far sector you can tell all sorts of different stories including supernatural or horror based stories and this while isn't full tilt into that definitely leans that way enough where you can see the possibilities yes that is one of the great appeal that green lantern has or or when it's done right is that you you can tell almost any kind of story you can put a green lantern in almost any situation and you can it can it can work 
It can be interesting. It can be, it can be thought provoking. Those are things that, and some, you could try to make the case. It's certainly not, it's, the, it's not the only kind of character or the only body of not just peacekeepers, but not just a core and uh, not just literally here because of the Green Lantern Corps, but not just a, a collective of characters that have similar characteristics and abilities that you can make that case probably for in often about something like that because there's always unique personalities involved when you have different different individuals even if they have the same power they're not going to all use it the same way but the but the power itself because of how it the willpower and how it originates from and how it's manifested that i think that does open the door for many different types of stories that certain other characters probably would not have the same carte blanche to to tell or be or have stories told with Agreed. Um, I do have problems with the art here and there. It's not necessarily in, and it's not necessarily anything to do with the actual um, talent or anything or any any particular um, technical aspect of it. It's just the style preference for me. That said, it's not wholly a style I completely reject. So I'm actually happy to have reread this. Obviously, we covered these two issues, but I reread all four, uh, as did you, uh, and I. I'm glad I did because I didn't I didn't forget about this, but it kind of slipped in my mind. And I do wish we kind of had like a a small four issue trade of this um, to put on the shelves. I think I think it would I think it's a decent Green Lantern story, and it's definitely worth adding to the collection. I would say give so. it like a seven or seven or eight out of ten. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's it's definitely kind of if it's. At least like in the B, B plus tier range of of stories, especially when you get all four parts. And then, you know, when you get the next when you get the next part where, you know, Green Arrow starts coming into it, too, that uh, even though it's kind of funny because Green Arrow and Hal don't have much of interaction, really. <laughs> but still, conceptually, it's nice that that, that the, the, those two characters are in an arc together and, and eventually come together. But it's not like a. They're they don't they're not in the trenches a lot together in, in this story much. But. All right, well I think that's going to do it for our coverage of uh, of JL May uh, for issues 19 and 20 of Brave and the Bold. I do want to talk a bit about some of the other podcasts that are out there. Um, uh, I'm not going to go over who's covering what, but in relative loose order. We have quite a few podcasts participating this year, and I do want to at least point you to them by name. Uh, we have the Overlooked Dark Knight, Dial F for Flanger, The Bat Pod, Legion Podcast, The Legion Project, Teal Productions, Right on Network, Justice Trek, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, Longbox Crusade, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Married with Comics, Superman in Crisis, us over here at the Lantern Cast, and follow our episode over to our friends Myron and Phil over at the podcast of Oa. Well, they'll, they'll be covering the next two issues. We also have JLI's Bwahaha podcast, Rolled Spine, Weird Warriors, Magazines and Monsters, Once Upon a Geek, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Waiting for Doom, and Fan Holes podcast. Um, I believe actually Once Upon a Geek will be covering the issue 30, which is the Green Lantern Doctor Fate one, which I love that issue. I've, I've had that for a long time. Again, that just kind of comes back to my love of the back, uh, I don't know, the back quarter of this run, uh, which is when Straczynski joins with issue 27 and a Batman and Dial H for Hero story and then finishes out the series. But uh, I don't know. This this run is particularly particularly popular because of one specific issue in the back half uh, or the back quarter, which is issue 33, which came out in June 2010, which is probably the biggest issue of that year, which was uh, number 33, Wonder Woman, Zatanna and Batgirl. And it's called Girls Night Out. Do you remember that one? I can't honestly say that I do. It sounds somewhat familiar, but I can't honest. I don't know if I had that issue. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know what? I really don't want to spoil who is because whoever is getting to cover that is damn lucky. I don't want to spoil that their coverage of that, but, uh, I highly encourage people go listen to that coverage because if you have never read brave and the bold 33 girls night out, um, you are missing out on probably one of the best comic stories, uh, written of that, a particular decade which is a bold claim but 
uh, neither here nor there, but the Straczynski's back quarter of it, there was a Batman and brother power, the geek story, which was fucking crazy. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, an Adam and Joker story where the Adam had to save the Joker through his own use of his abilities and stuff like that, which was, you know, had a moral tint to it and all of that. I don't know. It's just, it, I just, I finally remember it because I don't have all of these issues. Obviously I have the green lantern, Dr. Fate one and, and the ones we covered tonight and our friends are going to be covering over on the podcast of Oa, but boy, did I make a point to get the, the hardcover of Straczynski's brave and the bull team ups, because I don't have any of these other issues in trade form, but I have Straczynski's run in trade form. Uh, and it's well worth reading for sure. So I'm, I've definitely been enjoying the coverage so far on some of those other podcasts. Like I said, guys are playing along at home. Uh, they're, I just listed off a massive list of podcasts. Uh, the list gets bigger every time we do JL May. Um, so um, trying to coordinate and schedule a specific re- release schedule for all those podcasts in one month is a bit of a daunting task. So uh, some of the coverage, um, even after our own issues, is maybe even already out as, you, as you've heard this. But just go on to your various social media platforms and look up the hashtag JL May 2023 and you will find all of them there. I will also um, make sure to copy and paste the links to these podcasts over to Mark so we can include them in our post for this episode. Um, And uh, I can't wait to uh, hear what the rest of these shows have to put out for us. Nicely said, Chad, nicely said. All right. Well, before we go, um, uh, we just wanted to take an opportunity to uh, let people know what's been going on, at least recently with our show, in case you have circled back since the last time you've participated or listened to a JL May event uh, of, of recent. We actually had an interview with uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Well, one of us did, but yes, as a collective, <laughs> I was there as spirits, stupid work problems, but yes, yes, that was, you've done good, Chad. Well, I mean, I just, I, that's just, that's just one of them. We, we started a new uh, series that we'll be continuing on and, and kind of like a top five list sort of style. We're talking about some of the best covers from Green Lantern past uh, from various eras, which we'll be continuing on in the future. I think that's a winner. Uh, I'm sure Jim won't let us forget that either, but I think that one, that one is besides the fact that we can get a lot of mileage on that one, just in general, it's the fact that it's fun. And sometimes those things don't always go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> but that one, but that's a, but that's a fun topic to pick different errors and try to come up with our, our favorite covers and what appeals to us. Cause obviously different people have different tastes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And uh, hell, even uh, at the beginning of this year, you actually had a great episode with Corwin and Dan going over the retrospective of parallax. God, that seems like eons ago. I do love that episode again, not because I was on it, but. That it worked. It was an episode that could have gone off the rails just from an organizational perspective, but luckily, uh, luckily we started rolling pretty quickly. And yes, that it, it was something we had wanted to do for a while, just because it was a the history of Parallax from the very big from what we saw and thought of Parallax back during the Kyle Rayner era to obviously how that changed during the Jeff Johns era. And Lord knows we haven't seen much in general post post the John's era truly of, of even of the entity. But the reality is it, it, it was a very, it was a relatively comprehensive. Again, there were some arcs and some stories that we didn't get a chance to discuss, but I am particularly proud of that episode. And everybody playing along at home, you've actually uh, listened to us at a great time because uh, as we record this, this week, a brand new Green Lantern number one is out uh, at the beginning of a new series. We have Jeremy Adams writing with Zermancio on the artwork and then Philip Kennedy Johnson's, Johnson and Montos doing the John Stewart backup in that issue one just hit. Um, we will be covering that very soon in all subsequent issues, as uh, I'm sure you're uh, anticipating of us uh, and uh, a little sneak preview. I loved it. <laughs> And I can't wait for the rest of this series. Yes, hopefully it will be a precursor of things to come. It was, yeah, we'll get into it more. That should probably knock on wood, and we've already cursed when we do this. This should be the that should be the next episode that we do our thoughts on that. But it definitely was a good way to start the series. 
it feels like a Hal Jordan Green Lantern book, and it it gives you enough questions and and with and opens the door for explanations for certain things, and it it works. It was a good it was a good way to to lay the groundwork for a, a new ongoing. So that's a uh, optimistic thumbs up. Uh, and don't forget, they announced the other day that there's going to be some Golden Age characters who are getting miniseries of their own, including Alan Scott. So Green Lantern is really, truly on the come up right now. No bullshit. Uh, and uh, a lot of these first new outings have are just now hitting us. So uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity to to dive into some new Green Lantern stories because so it's it we've what it's been a year without a Green Lantern series proper proper yeah I think that's about right it's pretty much close to a year if not if if we haven't hit the year mark since they since the John Stewart book got put on since that yeah the John Stewart book pretty much got put on pause because of uh Dark Crisis good choice people uh so but now we have this we have the the John Stewart backup story soon to be the John Stewart mini and then of course. I'm a, I'm a little more, I'm still cautious about the Alan Scott mini just based on the way it was written, but the write up, the synopsis. But we'll but we'll keep our fingers crossed and we'll see how that plays out. For sure. And if people want to stay in touch with us as we start through all of that coverage, how do they reach out to us? And let's hope this goes better than last week. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Facebush. <laughs> Oh uh, yes, that that will, that will never die. <laughs> someone, someone, get that domain. And hold on to it. it That's right. Everyone, doing. sign up for your Facebook page right now. <laughs> uh, we'll send we'll send you a link. <laughs> no razor required. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a review on all platforms you listen to us on. Our YouTube channel is Lanterncast Vids. We have some unboxings and card unboxings. We have some big, bad toy store unboxings, among other things, some product uh, action figure reviews, things of that nature. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Uh, Phantom Stranger willing, it'll be Green Lantern number one next week. We'll talk to you then. Viva the Facebook. Good night, people. (laughs) Good night.